guys think that they should just start using metal bats in MLB? Would that oh. be fun? <laughs> no, I don't hate the sound. Why do you think that, I, Charlie? I hate the sound of metal bats when I watch. I, like, think, I think it would be funny. Maybe just like one day. What if, or what if every one team got to pick one game where they could use metal bats? One game all year. That yes. They get to do it. Yeah. So they'd be like, oh, you know, teams would be like, oh, we're gonna save this game until late in the season. You know. All right. All right. And Is then, one at bat? Every like week, every month, maybe. What about what about that? You get to give one metal bat for well, one at bat. They should just do one a game and like one, <laughs> one yeah. a game. That one, sounds like a lot. The that team gets fun. one metal at bat a game, and it's like it's that li- lends itself. Okay, so people are like, oh, if we get rid of the DH, it's going to get rid of so much of like the strategy behind the game. Well, it's like okay, here's something to replace that: the metal bat yeah. bat and or the metal bat. And you imagine only get... all the intrigue. It'd be like there'd be like a rule that you couldn't give it give it to the player that's leading in home runs on your team, maybe. Why? You know, so that's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, who are you gonna give it to? You know? I think what you do is you make it so you can't give it to your DH. So it's like there's some strategy. Yeah, but your there. DH could be really bad, like the White Sox. Hey, come on now. So it doesn't matter. I don't think there should be, to me, I don't think there should be any limits on it other than you only get one a game. Because how, because obviously what you want is bases loaded. Is it one plate appearance? One plate appearance or one at bat, I suppose. Uh, That's important. One plate appearance. No, I'm just making sure. Because what if you say, oh, it's one at bat, and then they just walk the guy? Oh, that's a good point. They could just. That's what I was wondering. But one plate appearance, though, I guess it could be the same thing. Because then, like, if it's only one plate appearance, you would just walk the guy. You're actually right. One at bat. Because. So that way they can't just walk the guy who has it. Um, Yeah. Because that would kind of just defeat the purpose. So, yeah, one at bat a game. (laughs) So if you get walked or you get hit by a pitch, then you, you get to keep it. And. Then, like, think about the intrigue of, like, when is he going to use it, when he's going to use it, because... Right, imagine, imagine them imagine them in the dugout. You see the manager go over to the bat rack, and the camera's like, on him, oh and he, like, boy. pulls it out, and you're like, oh, shit, he's grabbing the bat. And because then he puts like, it back. Oh, think of how exciting it would be, too. You see the guy in the on-deck circle who's been warming up, and he's got his regular bat, but then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, shit, they're giving him the metal bat. Yeah. So then, you know, it's like a surprise right before he's about to head up to the plate because, you know, situation changes. You know, maybe the first guy gets on base and hits a double and they're like, oh, okay, here we go. Time for the metal bat. Imagine be your team is down three in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. The bases are loaded and Mike Trout comes to the bat and he gets the, and you've saved the metal bat. Like that's that's peak TV. Like that's. That's what sports yeah. are all about. And then he strikes out swinging. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, everybody, to One Game at a Time. This is the podcast where we tell the story of a single game from baseball's history. I'm Warner, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam and Charlie. I'm Sam. What? Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm Sam. I'm Sammy Franchise. What's up, Stop everybody? <laughs> this is identity theft. I don't know, Charlie. It sounds, I don't know. You kind of have to prove if it. You're uh, me, I don't know why, Charlie, you're, you're saying Sam, that it's then, identity then theft. What's you're my, Charlie. What's my social security number? That's not a good question to ask me, Charlie. That's not a good question yeah. to ask Charlie, me. why would Sam dox himself? Why would he put his social security number on a podcast? That's That doesn't make any sense. I can tell you. Well, anyways, I'm the real Sam, and I can tell you my social security number. Oh, yeah, prove it. 966. <laughs> Three, eight, two, one. No one's gonna stop me. You guys are just gonna let me dox myself right here. <laughs> That's on you, man. Saying a social security number. It's like that episode of SpongeBob. Anyways, remember there's two uh, Mr. Yeah, Krabs's. Well, oh boy, one's a robot. Yeah. And one's one's good old Mr. Krabs. I am Sam. Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about a fun game today that has to do with a, uh, a baseball bat. Uh, this week's game was suggested by me. Every game has to do with a baseball bat. Uh, no, 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 Charlie. No, I'm, I'm going to stop this yeah, now. It's, if uh, somebody's listening and no, this no, is no, their no, first Sam. time listening, yeah, they're, they're very confused. confused. Or they're just going to think it's the wrong thing. This episode is very particularly about a baseball bat. 
But we're not going to get into it yet. We're going to save that for later in the episode. Uh, But if you have any suggestions for games, please send us an email or reach out on all of our social media platforms. We are at OGATPod on all of those. Our email is OGATPod at gmail.com. Let us know what uh, what games you want us to cover. Tweet us your social security numbers. Yes. Also, we are on Patreon, and if you're a supporter on there, you will get priority in suggesting games. So uh, check that out. And yeah, lots of other fun rewards. Uh, But what do you guys say? We jump into this game. I think we've been building it up enough. Pine tar is a sticky material produced by the high temperature carbonization of pine wood in anoxic conditions. Its primary uses are as a wood preservative and sealant for maritime use and roofing construction, and it can even be found in many soaps and skin treatments. In the world of baseball, Pine tar has been used by pitchers and hitters alike to a varying degree of legality. For pitchers who use the substance to get a better grip on the ball and increase the movement of their breaking pitches, the MLB outlawed the substance in the 1920s. So yeah, the 1920s, that's uh, that's the dead ball era. Kind of a interesting era of baseball. This is the time where we see pitchers that have an insane number of wins. Um... For a number of reasons. One had to do with the actual ball itself that it's not really worth getting into a lot, but you couldn't really hit it uh, as hard. Another kind of thing that happened in the 1920s is that there were no rules whatsoever about what you could actually do to the baseball. Uh, you could, kiss it? for example, put a razor blade in your glove and then cut up the ball so when it was flying through the air it would have all this jerky motion that just didn't make sense you could if it had rained you could just grab a whole scoop of mud from the mound completely cover the ball so it was brown or maybe even black and nearly impossible to see um there were no rules unfortunately this resulted in a terrible thing in baseball history uh there was a batter ray chapman who was hit in the head and later died from being beaned by a baseball. He, to date, hopefully forever, uh, is the only player to ever have been killed by an on-field injury. Uh, the reason that happened is because people say uh, when he got hit in the head, he didn't even move. He didn't even try to get out of the way of the ball. Many people think it's because he couldn't see it coming because they were playing a game. You know, it was a twilight game. The ball, like I said, is covered in dirt and mud. It is brown. You, he could not see it whatsoever when it hit him. That led to some rule changes. Uh, basically, they said, hey, you can't be doing that to baseballs anymore. Uh So, yeah, around the 1920s is kind of when they started to say, you can't be messing with the ball like that. Things like pine tar, you know, dirt, mud, all of that. Um, Also, it's when they started, like, throwing the balls out as often as they do, right? Like, yeah, they start. Yeah, they would use one ball. They would use one ball for almost the entire game unless someone had hit a home run or it went off into the stands. Now, yeah, they start using balls, um, replacing balls more often. And. Another reason, too, they did the reason the dead ball era changed, just to kind of wrap it up, they changed the makeup of the ball. And then you also had guys like, oh, you know, Babe Ruth, who started hitting 50 home runs a season. And people were like, oh, yeah, okay, now it's the era of the hitter. Anyways, baseball in the 1920s sounds very scary. Hey, Warner. (laughs) What? What do you call the period of a man's life after he has a vasectomy? I'm going to guess, say, the dead ball era. The dead ball era. Nice. (laughs) Well, despite its banishment from the mound, hitters are allowed to use pine tar on their bat to get a better grip. However, they're restricted from applying it above the bottom 18 inches of the bat. This particular rule, rarely given a second thought by baseball fans, was thrust into the spotlight on July 24, 1983, when the Kansas City Royals met the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium. At the midpoint of the season, both teams were sitting at fourth in their respective divisions, but very much alive in the race for the pennant. With an extremely competitive American League, every game mattered. This was back in the days when they didn't have a a divisional series in the playoffs, and they only had two divisions in each league, and they didn't have a wild card, so... All you had was the CS, so only four teams made the playoffs. Now it's like every game matters to an extent, but then like 
it really there were so many teams fighting for that spot and you imagine having only two divisions instead of three and no wild card every good team all these good teams are just fighting for one single spot or i guess two single spot two two single spots that doesn't make sense two two spots uh, two spots in the playoffs yeah i mean there's only two teams from the american league two teams from the national league they have an american league championship series a national league championship series the winners of those games go to the world series so yeah you basically two single something single is one right what am i talking about two single spots I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I think we get the gist of what you're talking about. It's hard to make the playoffs, and like you said, every game matters. Because, uh, yeah, right now they're in fourth, but while well, these teams are both in fourth, they're only, you know, three to four, maybe five games back, something like that. No, I mean, they were that's... less than, they were like two games out apiece. They, yeah, they each two yeah. games I mean, out, that's, so yeah, these that's... games definitely matter to these clubs. Yeah, exactly. Also, I like calling teams clubs. What do you guys think about that? Oh yeah, I think baseball club is a fun, uh, fun phrase for a team. It makes it sound like I could just go join. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, even though I can't because I suck at baseball. Oh, it makes it sound on, like I'm, I could be a you partner. Know. You know, you don't know, you Charlie. Know. I mean, Charlie, you could be. I mean, I know they've since. You know, there's less rounds in the draft now, but who knows, Charlie? You could be, you know, some fifty-something round, yeah. you know, just courtesy pick because you're friends with some front office guy. Maybe you're like, a, you know a late bloomer. We'll pick Charlie. You still have, you might still have a future yet. Yeah, who knows? Well, Kansas City was led by the eight-time All-Star and 1980 MVP George Brett. Well, New York boasted a fierce lineup spearheaded by Greg Nettles, Don Baylor, and Dave Winfield. Well, I have a a quick question. Based on Charlie saying that he felt like he could, the club makes him feel like he could join. If you were going to die and you had. I will. The only, okay. I guess that's true. We're all going to die. But the only thing that's going to save your life is that you have to make a perfect, you have to become a professional athlete of some sort. How would you do it? Darts, bowling. Maybe. No, bowling's really hard. I don't I would think say bowl- darts. Yeah, I feel like really I hard. could put enough. I could put enough time into darts that I bet I could. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, bean bags. You know, that's a thing. Do um, do esports count? Oh yeah, yeah. Do esports count? Well, I don't know. Do you um, think esports are sports? I per- I'm gonna say yes for this argument for sure. I think they do, like in general. But that's a whole other thing. I'm just saying. If I have to become an athlete or die, yeah, esports will count. Yeah, I guess maybe um, if you say for <laughs> athlete, I don't know. I like it's a sport, but it's not an athletic sport. So, see, I don't want to split hairs. If I'm gonna die or have to become an athlete in something, those are some of my top ones, I guess. Darts, I'm thinking, beanbags. Uh, what if you just e-sports? dedicated like? I guess I didn't say that you have a time frame, but like maybe you have ten years. Curling. What yeah. if you just dedicated like a few years of your life to just learning how to throw like the perfect knuckleball? Maybe that could be tough, though. I think baseball's too competitive. The only thing I'm thinking is like I'm not going to be better at, like I'm not going to be better at golf than good golfers. I'm not going to be better at. I'm probably not going to be better at darts than good darts. But if I'm nobody really throws that knuckleball today, and people have shown like you don't really have you could be kind of a shitty pitcher and learn to throw that knuckleball. I mean, realistically, I think my arm would blow out within a year or two. I'm going with wouldn't. curling. <laughs> curling yeah, is a good choice. I mean, or or uh, bobsled. I mean, I feel like the. I oh feel like, God. I feel like the that people who might as well tough. just kill me. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the people who aren't like the uh, cocksmith or whatever they're called. Uh, is that what they're called? I think that's what the guy who drives it is called. Maybe I'm oh, wrong. Boy. That might be like sailing or something. But I feel like the other people aren't really doing much. They're just kind of pushing and then jumping. <laughs> okay, Sam. Uh, they have to shift their weight. Bobsled. I shift my Anyways. weight all the time. That's all true. right, all right. Let's uh, let let let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> when the game began, neither team could play any runs in the first inning, but in the top of the second, a walk and a single put two runners on for Royal second baseman Frank White, who grounded into a fielder's choice that scored a run. The Yankees would come back in the bottom of the second with Dave Winfield at the plate. That's a drive that will not be caught. That is gone. Winfield hitting one into the Yankee bullpen. 
Dave Winfield has just hit his 16th home run of the year and tied the ball game up. And you know what happens every time a Yankee hits a home run. Hey, Dave Winfield, this bud's for you. That ball might have gone into the enclosure that holds the monument. It did. We'll take a look at it. Here reminds me of you when you hit from the left side. I mean, he just <laughs> nailed this ball. And he didn't hit it in the air. He hit it right on the line. That ball goes all the way out into left center and almost into the monuments. I think it did go into the monuments out there. I'd have to hit it twice to get it that far. That's about 450. Winfield's blast had tied it up one to one. The Royals would come back to break the tie in the top of the fourth with another Frank White RBI that made it Royals 2, Yankees 1. Then, with the runners on first and second, UL Washington hit a high fly ball out to right field. And that should do it. Vanilla goes back, back, and falls down and holds on to the ball. Holy cow, Pinella saw Mumphrey do that yesterday. It looked so good on TV, Lou decided. Watch this. Oh, man. Old Twinkle Toes out there, Frank. Watch it. Here it is again. All right, we got it real quick. This is a horrible, great catch by Lou Pinella. Why is right it horrible? Field. Because he, he gets all turned and turned around, around, spun in circles. He overruns it and then has to dive back in to make a diving catch. Had he tracked the ball well the entire, like, I know I'm not saying it's easy to be a right fielder. I'm just saying that had he tracked the ball better, he would not have had to make this diving catch. So it was a horrible, great catch. <laughs> I thought it was all around good catch it's hard to follow that ball up there when it's hit so high it's lou pinella i'm this is the first time i've ever seen lou pinella play baseball uh you know to me he's just I mean, like the fat guy in the clubhouse in the in the dugout who's just yelling in the too tight uniform uh yeah i mean listen i i've never seen him play baseball before either so my first impression was oh wow i definitely see why he uh, became a manager well this was i feel like i've heard players say before that the hardest ball to track is the one that's hit like right at you like it's over it's past him he's got to run back but he has to run straight back Mm -hmm. and it's like you don't have eyes in the back of your head so you're looking over your shoulder you know trying to run straight back you don't have eyes in the back of your head no that would that would help (laughs) outfielders a lot i think um yeah i'm not saying that this is an easy catch sounds like you're saying it's an easy catch you could make maybe i could to be honest but for a professional baseball player, this should have been an easy catch. <laughs> well, Lou Pinella, come on the pod and, and Warner say that to his face. Yeah, okay. Come on, sweet Lou. I'll tell you you're, you were horrible in right field. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the next few innings would see some great defensive plays that kept the game close until the sixth inning when Frank White tripled to left field. Then Don Slott followed in his footsteps. Oh, that'll get the run in. And it's also over the head of Winfield. Holy cow. And Slot's going to go for three, and he's going to make it. Unbelievable. Back-to-back triples. It was Royals three, Yankees one. But in the bottom of the sixth, a pair of singles put two men on for Don Baylor. Drive to deep left field. Holy cow. That's going to tie up the ball game. Campanera scores, Pinella scores, and Bell is in with a triple. We've got a tie ball game. But Baylor wouldn't stay on third for long as the next batter, Dave Winfield, drove him in with a single to left that made it Royals three, Yankees four. We've already seen a bunch of triples in this game, and that's because that left center fence in, in old Yankee Stadium is so far. It was like 440. This stadium, I always, whenever I see it, I just can't, it doesn't it look weird to you guys? It looks weird to me. Yes, I agree. It looks weird. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it looks weird. Everything about it looks weird, especially in like, yeah, this time, like the 80s when thing, things in the 80s just like looked bad. Like the 80s and 90s, things just looked bad in my opinion. Well, on TV, yeah, it's just strange. It's this weird like standard definition. It's grainy. Everything just looks bland. It's too, like, it's like, it's like blown out. Like it's too faded. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. When it's, I think of the eighties, I think of like neon and disco, but every, all the footage I see of the eighties is like just this bland, like everything's just, yeah. Isn't disco like said, the seventies? Well, I guess. I think of neon and stuff for the eighties, but like. 
Wham, you know? Wham is like the 80s to me. I mean, this is how every Wham concert looked uh, in the 80s. It all looked like uh, the video we're seeing here, even when you were there in person. That's just how it all looked. (laughs) Well, the late innings would see relievers pitching scoreless efforts without much traffic on the base paths until the top of the ninth when UL Washington hit a two-out single for the Royals and New York made a call to the bullpen for their shutdown closer, Goose Gossage, to face George Brett. Goose Gossage, one of the all-time great baseball names. This yeah. was an epic of, entrance. Yeah, this was great. He drives, they'd have a car that drives him in from the bullpen. Not a cart. I've never seen Not this like before. a golf cart. It was like a Dodge car. A full-on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a two-door fucking, and this is the 80s, so the car is big. Sedan. And uh, it's just driving down the field. Yeah, it looks like the kind of car you'd expect to see those, um, like, bullhorns that people put on the front of cars. On the front, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks like that kind of car. Yeah. So, and also, speaking of baseball names, did you guys know that UL Washington, the name UL, that's his legal given name. Those are not initials. Oh, I thought did those were just initials. I thought, it was I thought like so JD, too. You know. No, but when I was reading it, I looked it up because I was just curious. And U and L, UL, that is his given legal name. I've never heard that before. Lots of interesting baseball names. I like names that in his one. name when it's a lot of times when it's like typeset out is like U space L space Washington. Yeah. See, what threw me is because on Baseball Reference, that's how it's typed out. So I was kind of like, huh. I wonder if that's intentional or was that just a typo? And I looked it up. It was like, huh. Interesting. But yeah, Goose Gossage, UL Washington. That's good. That's good. The two future Hall of Famers, Gossage and Brett, had faced off a number of times, most notably in Game 3 of the 1980 ALCS, when Brett took Gossage deep for a go-ahead three-run homer that cemented a Royal sweep and sent them to their first World Series in franchise history. Today, though, Gossage only needed to get one out to close the game and send the New York fans home happy. On the first pitch, Brett crushed one to left, but it sliced barely foul. Then, Gossage delivered one high in the zone that was right in Brett's wheelhouse. Uh Uh-oh! Uh-oh! That's gone! And now the Royals have the one-run lead. This is just just obliterated he like fell he was like stumbling as he hit it and he just i mean this was just awesome he put everything into the swing you'd love it yeah it was royals five yankees four but as george brett rounded third and approached home plate he saw yankees manager billy martin and home plate umpire tim mcclelland having a conference at the plate the topic of their discussion was brett's bat more specifically the pine tar on brett's bat and whether or not it had been applied past that 18-inch mark. Oh, call back to the beginning when we talked about Look at that. There's a reason, huh? (laughs) Man, I would be so pissed if I was in that other dugout watching Billy. Like, the umps are trying to look at this bat, and Billy Martin is, like, in their face, like, or in their ear, you know, telling them what he wants them to do. Yeah. It's like, just let them talk, man. I mean, this is Billy Martin. (laughs) Like baseball fans know Billy Martin. We've talked about him when we did the 1952 World Series. He was playing second base for the Yankees, and now he's 1983. He's in. He's on his his third stint as Yankees manager out of five. Uh, he would just get hired and fired by Steinbrenner over and over again because he's like <laughs> just a loudmouth, brash, big personality manager. And some so Yankee fans like love him. A lot of people hated him too. Uh, and this is like, yeah, I, I'm with you, Charlie. Like just watching him, be like, oh, shut the fuck up, dude. Like- yeah, just let the ums talk. <laughs> you you told them what the issue was. They're looking at it. Like just yeah. let them look at it and stop bothering them so much. Yeah. Well, after the umpiring crew convened with Billy Martin in their ear and measured the amount of pine tar against home plate, which is 17 inches wide, the call was made. They might be going to call George Brett out. Well, he is. He's out. Yes, sir. Brett is out. Look at look at this. Brett is out. And He's steaming mad. He is out and having to be forcibly restrained from hitting plate umpire Tim McClellan. And the Yankees have won the ball game four to three. 
that is called out for using an illegal bat or with the illegal substance on the bat. George Brett's two-run homer was nullified, and he was called out, meaning the game was over, despite the protests from a visibly upset Brett. I mean, this I mean, is like this is like one of the best moments, in legendary baseball history. moments. He, I mean, he looks like he's a George Brett looks like he's about to kill Tim McClellan, the yeah. umpire. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, if I was Tim McClellan, I'd be like, oh, this is the last few moments of my life because George Brett is racing out of the dugout, about to kill me. Well, and, it's it's funny you say that because. Uh, I was listening to an interview of George Brett talking about this incident, like the 30-year anniversary of this incident uh-huh. or something. And Tim McClellan talks about this incident a lot as well. And Tim McClellan is like six inches taller than George Brett. And so, and a lot heavier and has a bunch of padding on it. And so apparently Tim McClellan yeah. has this thing where he says, you know, uh, I'm... I've got five inches on Brett, 50 pounds, a bunch of padding, and I'm holding a bat. What did George really think he was going to do to me right there? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's wild. That's a good point. Watching this, I don't know if this moment could happen in 2020. They didn't have the fence in front of the dugouts like they have now. Yeah, he is able to just sprint yeah. <laughs> out of that dugout. Nowadays, he'd have to hop over the fence and then go sprinting. Sure, I mean, I would imagine George Brett fucking jumping over that fence in a single you know he wouldn't have even touched it he just would have <laughs> yeah. literally jumped over it would have still been pretty impressive but i hear you it's such a different dugout that lends itself well to this type of the fact that he just comes like tear. full black like he's zero to 60 and i mean and then he gets thrown second. in an arm bar by another one of the fucking umps yeah like, dragged away <laughs> i mean dragged away and he's still screaming and swear it and fuck you bullshit bullshit like he's got the huge wad of chew in his lip too like oh my god it is there is so much going on this is crazy you can't blame him either because it's like this is he just hit a home run and they took it away off some like bullshit technicality yeah wild well during the commotion royals pitcher gaylord perry took the bat and disappeared into the visitors clubhouse leaving yankee stadium security chasing after him to recover it Okay, so in the same interview I was listening to, um, George Brett talked about how Gaylord Perry was, like, obsessed with this bat. Apparently, Brett kept using this bat for the next couple games, and he, like, took alcohol and scrubbed off all the pine tar. He measured 18 inches and drew a (laughs) circle around the bat at 18 inches. And, like, and then every day Gaylord Perry would come up to him and say, you can't be using that bat. That bat is way too expensive. It's worth too much money for you to keep using. And Just because of because what of this moment, with this so call I and think, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think when Gaylord Perry takes the bat and runs off, I think I don't even know. Maybe he's looking out for his buddy. But he's just I think thinking he about might the also money. Be like, yeah, I think he's like this bat is like this is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. I think that's what he's thinking. Because this is such a crazy moment. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's we'll funny. talk about where that bat ends up later, but. Um... He actually did, George Brett actually did stop using that bat and he sold it to one of the minority owners of the Yankees for like not a lot of money. I don't know, like maybe 10 grand, uh, something like that. That's and, still a good amount for a random bat. And then, I mean, but it's not a random bat. It's, you know, it's a very right. famous moment. And then, and then like a very short time later, he was like, I shouldn't have done that. And he bought it back. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he just, uh, I'll just, and didn't he pay the same? It was yeah. just, uh, you know, just a, he just gave the money back. So, yeah, yeah. He, he sold it for 25 grand, which, like, yes, is, is a lot of money. But, I mean, you're talking about, you know, some of these home run balls and rookie car and stuff like that being sold for millions of dollars. Uh, so he sells yeah. the bat for 25 grand, and then on, he had second thoughts and repurchased the bat for the same amount. <laughs> That's funny. Well, when it was all sorted out on field, Tim McClellan's call stood. The final score was Royals 3, Yankees 4. Immediately after the call, Royals manager Dick Hauser protested the game, and four days later, American League president Lee McPhail upheld their protest, meaning Brett's home run would count, and the game would be resumed in the top of the ninth with two outs and a score of 5-4. to four. 
wild. Crazy that like after all that, it gets upheld or the protest is upheld. The call, the ump's call is reversed. I mean, wild. In his decision, McPhail explained that the pine tar rule was less about an unfair advantage and more about economics, as too much pine tar on a bat would discolor the ball, forcing it to be replaced and increasing the home team's cost of supplying balls. I love that this is the reasoning. That's a good um, reason. Base, it, they spend a lot of money on baseballs. Yeah, it is a funny thing to like, he's looking back, he's like, listen, pine tar at the end of the day is not going to help you hit a ball 480 feet or whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just balls are expensive. You know, we get this we get this guy to mud up the balls, you know, got to I mean, we barely pay him. Well, but, I was you know, looking it up because I was curious, like how my my initial reaction to this was like, how big of an expense could this be? Like, who who cares? You know, but they go through like 10 dozen baseballs a game. And that yeah. is like eight hundred dollars. That's like eight hundred <laughs> bucks in baseballs on average. So if every ball is getting, you know, mucked up and now you're doubling that or something, yeah, right. I could see yeah. why, you know. You got 162 games for, you know, 30 teams or whatever, however many Do at the that math time. right now. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. I like that. I like that, like, he looked at it and was like, yes, I, 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 he broke the rule, but, like, it, it didn't change anything that, like... I like that he can actually look at it and have some like discretion and look at it as like a human thing and not just like, well, the letter of the law is this. And, and you know, we have to follow what this person wrote into the MLB rules a hundred years ago. It's like, I think that a lot of times in sports, there should be more of that. There should be more like looking at a thing and understanding the intent and understanding the actual like outcome of it and then making a ruling on that. So I just, I thought that was a good ruling by McPhail. And maybe, like, uh, George Brett paid him some money or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of that, um, Billy Martin, I think, later said about all of this that uh, he said Lee McPhail uh, – or no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, George Steinbrenner, after all of this, said that Lee McPhail was anti-Yankee and that he should go, quote, house hunting in Kansas City. Oh, which boy. I think is great that he's like, okay, this, this American league president, of course, Steinbrenner gets fined. I, I read he got fined $300,000 by the commissioner for that, which is, that's a lot of money in 19. I mean, I know, you know, he's an owner. That's probably chump change, but in 1983, $300,000, like, that's a lot yeah, of money. It's probably close to like a million or at least, I mean, probably, like I don't know. I'm something. sure we could look it up, but still, the fact that all he really said was, oh, he's anti-Yankee. He should go house hunting. And they're like, boom, huge fine. I don't know. I think he was on to something. <laughs> well, despite the ruling in his favor, George Brett was still ejected from the game by McPhail for arguing with the umpires, along with Dick Hauser, another Royals coach, Rocky Colavito, and finally Gaylord Perry for running off with the bat. Hey, Gaylord Perry was just trying to protect this valuable History. artifact. Exactly. With the game slated to resume, there came the challenge of actually scheduling it. After much resistance from the Yankees, the continuation was penciled in for 25 days later, on August 18th. In the days leading up to the game, the Yankees announced they'd charge non-season ticket holders a $2.50 admission fee, which led to two lawsuits until the Yankees finally agreed to allow anyone with a ticket stub from the original game to get in free of charge. What a bunch the of The main reason the Yankees did this, they kind of, I think they knew it would go to court because they knew that that would delay the game even longer. Oh my God. And that's God. what they were trying to do, like leading up to all this stuff. And eventually I think it was that is so yeah, petty. pretty much just like thrown out. They were like, fuck off, you guys. <laughs> that is so petty. It's, it's very petty. But the Yankees weren't done there. As they made it publicly known, they didn't agree with McPhail's ruling, something that became evidently clear when Billy Martin announced his lineup for the continuation, putting star pitcher Ron Guidry in center field and rookie first baseman Don Mattingly at second, making him the first left-handed second baseman since 1970, when Sam McDowell had played the position for a single at bat in order to avoid facing Frank Howard. This is just, they just don't care. They're like, fuck this, we don't want to be here. We're just going to fuck around. 
might might throw a pitcher in center field. Who this knows? is one of those things where it's like, like Sam had said that uh, the president of the league was able to look at the rule and use some discretion. Couldn't they have looked at this game and used some discretion and just like, if the Yankees are going to do this, just let them forfeit and say like, don't bother doing the whole thing. We'll just take the loss, you know, if they're not going to try and they're going to make a big joke. Yeah, I don't get why they wouldn't have just forfeited. I don't know. Well, I mean, because the Yankees I, have a little was... trick up their sleeve. <laughs> well, with players on the field, Hal McRae at the plate, and an all-new umpiring crew, play was ready to resume, or so it seemed. Before the first pitch, the new Yankees pitcher, George Frazier, stepped off and threw the ball to first, arguing that George Brett hadn't stepped on the bag when he made his round tripper 25 days ago. This is just... I can't handle this. Well, it's just I cannot Martin. handle yeah. this. Just pulling some Talk more about fuck shit. Petty. Talk about Petty. This is next level. But after the first base umpire, Tim Welk, called safe, Frazier tried the same move at second, but was met with the same response. Safe. And then Billy Martin was out of the dugout again. I, I want to punch this dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a sore loser. Yeah. Martin's move was to challenge the new umpires, claiming they hadn't been on the field to actually see Brett's home run, so they had no way of knowing whether or not he touched all the bases. And that was when crew chief Dave Phillips produced his secret weapon, a signed affidavit from the old umpiring crew confirming Brett had touched all the bases. This is... This is the they knew this was happening? coming. So when Lee McPhail way back, you know, four days after the original game, said, hey, no, this home run counted. They then put together a group to figure out, okay, we know Billy Martin and the Yankees are going to fight us every way they can. We need to figure out what all they're going to try to do so we can be prepared. I would imagine this was part of it. They said, listen, we're not going to have the same umps. Billy Martin's going to know that, and he's going to try to challenge us on this. Let's get some legal documents up in this shit. And I have to say, there's a photo or an image from the game. I, I took a screenshot of Billy Martin standing there with his arms crossed as the umpire is holding a sheet of paper on the field and pointing it out to him. That is such a crazy image that I've just never really seen before, that there is an umpire standing there pointing out on this affidavit, yep, see, yep, they signed it right here. Uh, it's all the different umpires, all four of them. They all signed it. Crazy. I mean, Martin, Just a crazy. Martin even, like, went even further and, and like, kind of was skeptical of this affidavit because he says that he had spoken to spoken on the phone with the first base umpire from the first part of the game, Drew Cobble, which that seems questionable in integrity if, if you should really be allowed to do that but he said that he spoke to that umpire on the phone and that umpire said that he wasn't looking at first base when brett circled the base when brett had circled the bases so martin is like well how could he sign a, an affidavit if he told me that he never was even <laughs> looking at the base take his ass to court man <laughs> but i mean i don't know perjury why. or some shit i don't, I don't know, know why <laughs> the manager of a disputed game is talking on the phone privately with the first base umpire from that game that doesn't Seem yeah, like it's on the up That sounds up. like bullshit to me. And like the first base umpire nowadays, he could just tweet, be like, fuck you, Billy Martin. I didn't do that <laughs> shit. But back then, it's so much harder to get that. Well, uh, nowadays, get that the clip, like, it would just be just watch the, just watch the video yeah. of him rounding the bases. He touches it. End of story. Yeah, exactly. Which, like, also, I don't understand why they, they were showing replays during this game. They could have just done that as well. I don't know. It was yeah. the anyway, 80s. It seems like. It was a wild situation. Just watch the tape, man. Just yeah, he touches the base. It's, it's fine. Exactly. Yeah, but with his options becoming quickly exhausted, Martin did the last thing he could: announce the Yankees were playing the game under protest. <laughs> it is just a never-ending cycle. Could you imagine if the Yankees' protest is upheld and then they wait another twenty-five days and then the fucking Royals protest again? Oh my god. <laughs> Finally, with all of Billy Martin's tricks expended, play resumed. Frazier struck out McRae, then the Yankees went down in order in a 1-2-3 bottom of the ninth to end the game, Royals 5, Yankees 4. In the end, neither team would even come close to the playoffs, 
as the Royals finished 20 games back and the Yankees finished in fifth. Since the infamous home run, Brett's pine tar-covered bat found its way to the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, where it sits on display to this day. So yeah, I teased it before. He, Brett sold the bat, bought it back, and then he donated it to the Hall of Fame. So he ended up not making any money on it. I wonder yeah, if... And- um... The whole Gaylord Perry anecdote. I wonder if Gaylord, like, if Brett sold it because he's like, I just don't really care. And then Gaylord Perry was like, the fuck did you, you sold it for 25 grand? <laughs> I did all this. I It's like, what? What are you doing, man? You know? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I'll get it back. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, man, Gaylord, you really, really like this bat, don't <laughs> like, you? Leave me alone, dude. <laughs> I mean, the way that George Brett was talking about it in that interview is like, it sounded like Gaylord Perry had like some weird obsession with this bat. Also, like, he was pestering funny. him to not use it so it wouldn't break. I mean, George Brett was <laughs> making, I mean, which I mean now we would laugh about it, but at the time it was a good sale. He was making a million dollars a year, so him selling the bat for twenty five grand is like not really a big deal to George Brett. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's you you'd know, expect something about... like that to sell for like a hundred thousand dollars or more. I mean, today that's about seventy-eight thousand dollars. So you know, not not bad, but still, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure he didn't mind as much, and obviously, it ending up in the Hall of Fame, I think, is the right move. Uh, you know, at the guys, end, guys, we day. should steal the bit. Let's Ooh. do it. <laughs> Although the game would ultimately have no impact on the standings, it will always be remembered as one of the most controversial and absurd moments in baseball history. All this shit, all this Billy, I mean, Billy Martin, to me, Billy Martin is like the heel of this story. First, he's like a snitch little, yeah. eh, he has pine tar too high on the bed. <laughs> yeah. Get him out, get him out, get him, throw him out. Come on. It's like such a weak move, which like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Yankees hater. I know that some people on this podcast are Yankees haters. I know a lot of baseball fans are Yankees haters. And like, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, you gotta like, be this a Yankee is a Yan- hater like, about this. This is something the Yankee haters would be like, see, <laughs> like they can't take one loss; they have to challenge the validity of the bat, and then they have to try to say he didn't step on first base. Like, so okay, you want to know too what's funny about this whole bat thing? So, in doing research, Billy Martin at the beginning of the game apparently had been clued in by one of his, uh, I think, one of his players or something that you know, hey, Billy, looks like there's a lot of uh, pine tar on there. Uh, but he had actually decided to wait and say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything unless it was, it's strategically useful move. for me to do. Brilliant. So. I take everything back. Billy Martin is a genius. I mean, <laughs> so that you got to give it to him. He understood the rule and thought, you know what? This might not matter. I might not have to worry about it. If I don't say anything now, it might be more beneficial later. But what this ultimately does, this ends up leading to a rule change in uh, baseball nowadays if you have a dispute about a bat you have to make your objection before the bat gets used yeah you can't wait watch them hit a home run and then say hey i don't think that bat's legal i mean i'm sure if a bat breaks in its court that's a whole nother thing but yeah you have to make your protest before it gets used so i think it's pretty funny that in the kind of aftermath of all of this, they were like, oh my God, we have to change the rules. So Billy, people like Billy, <laughs> people Martin, like Billy Martin aren't pulling this shit, aren't pulling this well, shit again. It wasn't, I mean, Billy Martin known for kind of, like I said, just always had something to complain about and freaking out. And then George Brett with one of the most epic meltdowns ever, yeah, which I think one of the most epic, sets us yeah. up perfectly <laughs> for a little extra innings thing that Charlie's got going on. We're going to pick some of our favorite, Sports freakouts from uh, sports history. Uh, I don't know, Warner. Do you you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is one that uh, I gotta say I was doing some research, trying to find some good ones. This is a a new favorite for me. Um, so little backstory. This is a, a a handball match between two Italian teams, SS Bozen and SS Brixen. Uh, during the game, uh, Ivan Stuffer freaked out after he was uh kissed on the cheek <laughs> by another player pascal mayon and as stuffer was leaving the court you guys want to know what he did he pulled down his pants 
grabbed his junk and started just shaking it at the audience as he was walking off. This is the off. guy who kissed Wait, the at other the guy? Audience? This is the guy who got kissed. This is the guy that got kissed. The guy who got what was he kissed. Mad at the audience for? I have Wait, the guy who no got kissed idea. then dropped his pants and started waving his his wiener at everybody. Yes, that what is what happened. Why? Are these I don't insane? under I I don't understand. So this guy got kissed. I sorry, he got kissed and then shoved the other player and got booted for that. And then as he was walking out, he did that. The fans are like screaming at him, yelling at him, all this oh, stuff. He must have been. I, it's all Italian. The, he must have been the road. You know, on the road team or something, they were hostile fans. I would assume. I, I would assume. But like part of this video, there's a kid in the front row who's like, <laughs> oh god, like he's got like a water bottle, I think maybe, and he's like banging it on the like barrier in front of him. You know, like uh, the kind of railing in front of him. He's like everyone is just screaming at this dude. He is literally. I, it is insane. Um, we're I'm gonna post. We'll put the link in the show notes so anyone can watch it if they want what? to. You can see uh, this? crazy freak out. Yeah, you can watch this. Uh, I'm going to post it in the show notes. Uh, wild. Just wild. All right. Um, All right. Um, yeah. The next? one that I've picked is a true classic, one of the most famous freakouts ever. Mike Tyson biting off <laughs> Holyfield's ear. I mean, what oh. the fuck? <laughs> like, there. It's a re- epic rematch. Everybody's looking forward to it. Mike Tyson's the favorite, or at least the fan favorite. And then Evander Holyfield comes in and pretty much puts Tyson on the ropes right away, and the crowd turns on Tyson. And Ty- Tyson responds to kind of being, I don't know, it, it's not looking good for him. So he bites off his a chunk of his ear, spits it out onto the floor and then the there's a brief pause and then they keep fighting and then later tyson (laughs) bites his ear again the fact that mike tyson bit his ear twice that is wild to me he did it two times (laughs) i mean once is like okay you know it's boxing we get it yeah Let's Shit keep going. Happens, but the second time, okay. it's like, all right, now Mike Tyson, somebody get this guy out of here. Yeah. And unfortunately, it led to Mike Tyson's life and kind of going in all kinds of other crazy directions. But this freakout is just next uh, level. <laughs> yeah. The amount of hate you have to have in a moment to just rip a dude's ear off with your teeth. That's yeah. insane. <laughs> So All right, Sam, what do you have? Mine is something that when I was 12 years old in the summer of 2007, this freakout brought me so much joy. I was just starting to learn how to use the internet, YouTube, <laughs> watching videos. And I swear to God, I watched this once a week for that entire summer. showed all of my friends. Philip Wellman is a minor league <laughs> manager uh, and at the time in 2007, he was managing the double-A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves, the Mississippi Braves. And what's interesting about that is that it relates to our episode perfectly because um, during a game against the Chattanooga Lookouts, he protested the umpire throwing the pitcher, his pitcher out of the game for using a foreign substance. So what <laughs> he protests this, he comes out, he argues the call, and then what transpires after is three and a half minutes of absolute <laughs> insanity. Yes, three and a half minutes. First, he goes to home plate and he covers it with dirt. He just completely so can't see it anymore. Yep. Classic. Then he traces a new home plate over it, way larger <laughs> than the original home plate. <laughs> then he goes to all of the bases and digs them out of the ground, uprooting them and throwing them. <laughs> then he gets on the ground and army crawls. He gets on the ground and army calls crawls to the pitcher's mound takes the rosin this is all real this is not like a stunt he grabs he grabs the rosin bag on the mound pretends to bite it like a grenade and throws it at the umpires the last thing he does is he concludes the entire craziness by pretending to inject and eject the umpires themselves with a fist bump and then pump and then blowing a farewell kiss to the crowd while taking a bow (laughs) <laughs> it was one of the most absurd things I'd ever seen in my entire life. Uh, 
ESPN in 2009 named it the number one sports meltdown in history. Um, <laughs> and people thought it's funny because I'm, I'm reading this, like the sports center anchors at the time were like, okay, that's the end of his career. Like we'll never see that guy again. That's not true. He, they didn't even fire him. He still manages in, he, he managed <laughs> the team for like another five, six years. And even today he manages the double A affiliate of the San Diego Padres, the Amarillo, the Amarillo sod poodles. Oh my God, the fucking sod poop. What is wrong with minor league baseball? <laughs> but uh, they're on Wellman, another level. One of the most insane things I've ever seen brought me so much joy. I hope one day I can meet him, but yeah, I'm I also scared video. to meet him. Yeah, that's uh, that one's pretty wild. <laughs> the moment when he starts army crawling is the moment where it's like, what the fuck? Oh, okay, this is next. Yeah, this is next level. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, we'll uh, you know, we'll put some of those links in the show notes, um, so you can maybe go watch some of those freakouts and send uh, us your favorite freakouts that we didn't talk about. Yeah, definitely the Phil Wellman one is. I think that's level. the best. I one. mean, that one is that one might be one of the best freakouts ever. Um, I was definitely going to talk about that one if Sam or Charlie, if you did it, because it was it's so good, it's so good, uh, and everyone should go watch it. It's best you know way you can spend whatever three minutes or something of your life uh check it out for sure uh but thank you everybody for listening uh email us at ogatpod at gmail.com if you have game suggestions or like charlie said uh some you know sports freak out moments uh that you like we have new episodes every tuesday if you enjoyed the show then uh tell your friends about us run all the podcast platforms make sure to subscribe rate and review helps us get the show out there and uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at OGATPod, all the social media. And we're on Patreon as well. So check that out if you want to support the show. We'll shout out new supporters at the end of our episodes. We've got some other tiers as well, that, uh, or some other rewards for the tiers as well to check out. And um, Warner, you're yeah. going to use the money from the Patreon to buy Evander Holyfield's bitten off ear and eat it yourself. I don't know if I'm going to eat it. I might just, you know, preserve it. But if it comes down to it, you know, where, you know, when the world ends and I need something to eat, at least I'll have it. Yeah, so, emergency yeah, rations. Nice. That's, that's yeah, actually exactly. just <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.